Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Man up. Real men count on God. But it doesn't stop there. Real men count on God against all odds. You know, today in America and probably other places as well, people are going to wake up and they're going to think about one particular man in their lives. And most likely it will be their father, or it could be someone who's like a father to them, or just some other man that they're really close with. And you know, I wonder if when they think about that man, if they would classify that man as a real man. And I really wonder if those men would classify themselves as real men. Now, if I were to use the criteria that, that a lot of people use or that the world uses sometimes to define what a real man is, it might sound something like this. See if, you, uh, see if you've heard these before. A real man is someone who doesn't show a lot of emotion and won't show his pain, right? A real man is someone you can tell is a real man because of the trophies he has, the accolades, the plaques on his wall, the accomplishments that he's made. That's what makes you a true man. Show me how much you can bench, how much you can squat, how strong you are, how big are those muscles, and then I'll tell you if you're a real man or not. Do you have a good job? Do you have a steady income? That's what makes you a real man. Maybe show me uh, the type of car you drive or a picture of the woman you're with. And then I'll tell you if you're a real man or not. But really, you know, if people respect you almost to the point of being a little afraid of you, then you've made it. Then you're a real man. And maybe you've heard of other lies about true manhood. And you could probably add to those, right? And, and I think that the reason those lies continue today is because there's a deep need in all of us, especially men, to prove ourselves. And in the process, to have a little bit of adventure, of fun and daring while we're living. Contrary to the opinion of a lot of people or of what a lot of people think, being a real man being a man that counts on God against all odds, being a Christian man is anything but cozy and comfortable. It's anything but giving up on adventure and daring and the pursuit of excellence. We're going to talk today about how being a real man is all about betting all you have on God when the chips are stacked against you. It's about going all in in a hopeless situation and betting on God. You know, I, I think that a lot more men would be willing to do this if they knew how. What does it mean to count on God against all odds? How, how do I do that? What does that consist of? God doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us examples of real men in the Bible. And we're going to talk about Abraham today and how God holds up Abraham as what a real man looks like and also what a real father looks like. He even calls us his offspring. He says that all of us are the children of Abraham and he is our father. Now, Abraham, before God gave him that name, was, was actually named Abram. 
And that name means exalted father. So God came to Abram one day and he said, Abram, I want you to take everything you have and I want you to pack it all up and relocate to a place you've never been to. It was a place that Abraham didn't know and he necessarily didn't have any desire to go to, but God wanted him to go there. And with that command to leave, he gave Abram a bunch of lofty promises. He said, Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And you're going to be a blessing, Abram. Everyone who blesses you, I will bless. And if people say bad things about you, or if they curse you, I will curse them. All people on earth will be blessed through you, Abram. He was basically telling Abram that he was going to give him the blessings of wealth, power, and the legacy of a long-lasting name. And more than that, he was actually going to give Abram multiple descendants that would form a true nation on earth. And even more important than that, the promised Savior, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, would be born from his lineage. It's a lot of promises. That's a lot of, a lot of things that Abraham had to take in there. And here, here's the most unbelievable part of the whole thing. Is you got Abram who was 75 when God first came to him and told him to relocate. Okay, 75. And then Abram was 99 when God came to him a second time and had him look up at the sky. Look up at the stars. And he said, Abram, I want you to try to count all those stars because that's how many descendants you're going to have. And he said this to Abram when he was 99 and had zero kids. Now, even back in Bible times, 99 is old to father a child. And Sarah, his wife, wasn't any younger. God changed Abram's name to Abraham, meaning father of many nations father of many nations that's 99 and doesn't have a single kid. And probably even more outrageous than any of that is that Abram believed God at his word. It says that he hoped against all hope and trusted that God would fulfill that promise. And that's the context you need to know before we dig in to the Bible verses in Romans. So take out your Bibles or your crosswalk notes and let's read Romans chapter 4, verses 13 and then verses 16 to 25. And you can follow along on the screen or on your crosswalk notes. It says this, it was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead 
since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. In this context, we see Abraham being a real man and counting on God. But we also see that one of the parts of being a real man is, is that you don't have to be an idiot. What I mean by that is, is Abraham didn't bury his head in the sand and he didn't cover his eyes when it came to the facts of life, when it came to his own circumstance. I mean, God came to him at 75 and then when he was 99 and told him he would have this great nation, but he didn't have any kids. He was real. He was honest. Let's, let's look at verse 19 again. What does it say here? Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. He was honest with God. He said, I'm, I'm 99 years old and my body is as good as dead. And my wife's womb is as good as dead. She hasn't had any kids. What Abraham didn't do is he didn't do what a lot of us try to do and kind of reason our way through things, right? He, he didn't look at his body and say, you know, for a 99-year-old man, I'm in pretty good shape. Now, every morning I get up, I take a jog with my, a jog with my sheep, and I do some push-ups with my servants, and sometimes I use my cows as hurdles and do a little exercise, you know, and I stay in pretty good shape here for a 99-year-old guy. I could do this. And my wife, Sarah, I mean, she might be 90, but haven't you heard that 90 is the new 40? So therefore, I mean, she could definitely have a kid. This could happen. No, he didn't try to reason his way into it. He faced the facts. He said, my body is as good as dead. My wife's womb is as good as dead. God doesn't ask us to kind of throw away the facts of life, right? He actually wants us to admit things. So our first point is that real men face the facts, Real men face the facts because in order to have a real relationship with God, we have to be honest with him, don't we? A relationship has to be built on trust. And you know, I think that, that if we thought a little bit more when it comes to admitting things to God, admitting our embarrassments, admitting our failures, you know, I think we could be a lot more real if, if we knew that God actually knows what we're going to say already. It's not like when we admit something to him, he's going to say, you know, I haven't heard about that before. That's that's the first time I knew that. God knows everything. And Abraham even knew that. And, And I want you all to know that by Abraham admitting that his body was as good as dead and his wife's womb was dead, he wasn't admitting this in a, in a way that was kind of joking around. You know, he wasn't like with his buddies and saying, yeah, you know, this old body's not going to have a kid and that old hag of mine's not going to have a kid. I mean, look at her. She's 90 and I'm 99. It wasn't a joking matter because in Abraham's day, 
having kids was basically not an option. It wasn't just for practical reasons that more kids meant more help with chores, with the way you lived, and not just extending your lineage, but it was basically socially unacceptable to not have kids. You would be looked down upon. A father who had no kids and a woman who could bear him no children, especially no sons, suffered pu- personal humiliation and public disgrace. Excuse me, public disgrace. So Abraham admitting this to God wasn't him just, you know, joking around about himself. He was being real with God. He was admitting his physical limitations. He was admitting his embarrassments and he was admitting his fears. He was completely transparent before his father. And guys, I think we could probably take a lesson from Abraham, couldn't we? Because to be honest, God gives us responsibilities that are really important as men. He asks us to take care of our family's physical needs. And, you know, we could just kind of gloss that over and we could say, yeah, you know, I, I'll take care of that. No, no problem. No biggie. That'll happen some way. Or we could be honest with God about what we think about. Maybe you admitting to God would sound like this. It would sound like, God, you asked me to provide for my family's physical needs, and right now I don't have a job. Or right now I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. Or my paycheck keeps getting smaller, and my responsibilities and my expenses keep getting bigger. God, I made a mistake in the past that is causing a real financial hardship on my family. You're asking me to provide for my family when I'm not a very good manager of money. I need your help. God, I need you to provide for me before I can provide for anyone else. And guys, a bigger responsibility he gives us is he calls us to be spiritual leaders in our families and not just there. But in our church, in our communities, and in our everyday lives. And again, we could kind of gloss over that and say, yeah, you know, no problem. I'll just kind of memorize a couple Bible passages or something. Or worse yet, we could say, you know, I'll, I'll let someone else deal with that. I'm going to push that responsibility off to, to someone else. You know, I'm, I'm just going to make my wife be the only person who talks about spiritual matters at the home. I'm going to let my pastor take care of that. That's, that's what he's there for. I'm going to have my grandparents be the ones that do that, or my parents be the ones who do that. Or, you know, I'll, I'll take care of that whole spiritual leadership stuff when I'm good and ready, you know, because I just don't feel ready right now. Or we could be real with God and we could face the facts. We could say, God, you call me to be a spiritual leader of my family, of my friends, of my community, of my coworkers. And frankly, I, I don't feel like I could do that sometimes. I mean, I struggle with sin, sometimes the same sins, day after day after day. You want me to teach my faith to other people, and, and I'm not even sure always about my faith. God, I need your help. I need you to lead me before I can lead other people. Be real with God. But you know the best part of this verse 19 are the first few words. Without weakening in his faith. 
without weakening his faith. You know, Abraham made some mistakes, and we're going to talk about that. He even made some mistakes in the faith department. He wasn't always this guy who completely always said, yeah, God's going to, going to turn out well. On the emotional side, he showed traces of doubt. But it tells us that Abraham ultimately never, ever completely lost hope throughout this whole time. Let's look here at our next verse on the back page. These are verses 16 and 17. It says, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. So where did Abraham find his strength? Right? If Abraham faced the facts, but yet was willing to rely on God, where did he find his strength? Because I I think counting on God, a big part of that is having the ability to be completely transparent to him, to admit all the facts, but yet not to lose hope but yet not to be in despair. So, so how was Abraham not able to be in despair? Who, who did he lean on? When he trusted in himself and his wife, he made a mess. His wife, Sarah, wasn't conceiving. She wasn't having a kid, and so she kind of got nervous and said, hey, Abraham, sleep with Hagar, my servant, and, and maybe, maybe God's promise will happen that way. Instead of trusting God that that she would have the child. So Abraham said, okay. Had a child with her. And and, uh, you know what happened, of course, is Sarah got jealous of Hagar. And treated her so badly that it forced her to run away. And eventually, Abraham made the decision of, of sending her away for good. And then sending his own son, who he had with her, sending them away. When we trust in ourselves, we we make a mess. But Abraham, if if, if he would look at himself, or even when we're talking about faith, if Abraham looked at his own record of faith, he would just get in despair. And that's why we don't look at how big is our faith, but how big is our God. We look at God's record of love instead of our record of faith. And God's record of love is spotless clean. And he always comes through for us. So really what Abraham did was he was able to be a father of many nations because he knew his identity was actually not really as a father, but as a child. He knew that God was his father. And by being a good child, meaning just trusting in his father's promise, that's how he was able to be a real man. Knowing his identity, knowing his true identity, that no status, that no badge, that no amount of money could, could ever give it. Because you know, there's, there's some men in here right now who think that they're nothing more than just plain, dirty old sinners. And they don't think they're worth very much. And you guys who think that, maybe it's because of past mistakes or past sins, or maybe it's because someone in your life has been telling you all along that you're worthless. And you're in despair. 
But look at what God calls you. He calls you his son. He calls you his child. I mean, look here in Galatians. Galatians 3.26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. He calls you someone that is important. Now, there's also some guys in here who frankly think that they're all that. And you guys in here think that you're at your job, your position, or your success has come because of you. And that you're a real man because of what you have done. You're missing the mark. Humbly admit that you're a real man, not because of you, but because you are God's child. Know that you're a child first before you're a father. And look what it says here in in the verses above the Galatians, the 16 and 17, that, that God made Abraham a father of many nations through faith. Notice, I I can't find anywhere in here that it said God made Abraham a father of many nations through his accomplishments. It didn't say that because Abraham was a nice guy, God made him a father of many nations. It didn't say because Abraham has these nice muscles or this beautiful car or this really pretty girlfriend that made him a father of many nations. It didn't say that because people respected him and even feared him a little bit that God made him in this position. What does it say? It says by faith. And how did he get this faith? Is it by by looking at himself, by saying, you know, I've just got to believe. This faith was given to him by grace. Not by something he did or some status he has. But God gave it to him by undeserved love. And that same undeserved love he gives to all you guys out there and all you women out there. He makes us his children. So we're not just sons and daughters of Abraham, meaning that we believe in the same God as Abraham, but we're sons and daughters of God Most High. We are princes and princesses of the king. And let's look at our last verse here, 23 to 25. It says, The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So saying that we are sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus means that we believe that Jesus was delivered over to death for us and he was raised to life for our justification. And what that means is that he was raised to life so that you could have this stamp that says not guilty stamped on your forehead. And Jesus puts it another way. It's like Jesus being raised to life and giving us justification is like he gives us new clothes. We get to get rid of these old, dirty sinner clothes, and we get to put on what's called a, a royal robe of righteousness, something that's holy and pure, something that Jesus won for us. And they're really our adoption clothes, because we're born into this world not knowing God. We get that robe of righteousness through faith in what Jesus did, and God looks at us, 
And he says, you see that son over there? He's my son. And I love him. And with him, I'm well pleased. You see that woman over there? That's my daughter. You see the clothes she's wearing? That's the clothes my son bought for her. By his blood, by his death on the cross. Our point number two is that real men, they know their true identity. They know that all the superficial stuff in the world can go by, and they know deep down that God loves them, that God is their father. Well, my, uh, my dad's out of town, so I can talk about him a little bit. He's moving my sister down from Oregon in one of those big moving trucks right now as we speak. And, you know, my dad is a, is a man of few words. And he's someone that chooses to show his heart through what he does rather than just what he says. Ever since I was little, he's taught me things that I still value and that I still try to, to show today. He's taught me core values such as honesty and integrity as sacrifice and perseverance. But you know, those aren't the reasons why I would call my dad a really great father. You see, I was about 19, 20 at the time. It was between my sophomore and junior year in college. I was at home living with my parents and really confused, not sure about the direction in my life. I, I didn't know if I was going to go back to the college I had been going to or go to a new college. I, I didn't know uh, really what I wanted to do with my life. I mean, I felt mentally trapped. And to be honest, I don't like thinking about that summer at all. But what I do like thinking about is I like thinking about the conversations that me and my dad had at that time. And he didn't sugarcoat anything with me. He said, yep, you're right. College is a time where you're going to be confused. Right now, you're going to be mentally trapped, son. And let me tell you something. When you're my age, you're still going to be mentally trapped, and you still might be a little confused. And you know, him telling me that, telling me that he still struggled with that, letting me face the facts, made me feel good because, you know, sometimes we think that, that our dads have it all put together. But he didn't stop there. He didn't just say, yeah, you know, toughen up, dust yourself off. What he did was, was my dad, a man of few words, pointed me to the men of the Bible. People I had heard about my whole entire life, but really he put them in a new light for me. Because these men that he pointed out to me were men who made huge mistakes, were very confused, and they did this more than once. And my dad said, Phil, if God can forgive and love and guide these men of the Bible, why can't he forgive, love, and guide you? And if God can use these men to do great things, why can't he use you to do great things? The men my father used as an example weren't perfect men at all. He used King David in the Old Testament, who was a cheater and a murderer. He used Abraham, who was a liar, who lied to people about his wife and said his wife was his sister because, uh, you know, he didn't want them to harm him. 
So he said, ah, it's just my sister. Instead of trusting in his heavenly father. And Abraham, this man of faith, he had a major hiccup in the faith department, didn't he? I already talked to you about Sarah's servant, Hagar, and how he, he slept with her and tried to force God's promise down a certain path. Abraham, the man of faith, even hiccuped in this department. And my dad said, if, if God can forgive and guide and love them, and if God can still call them his sons, and still call them great men, because they always lean back on him, can he do the same with you? And I was like, Dad, you spoke. That's, wow, that was pretty impressive. What he was doing was he was pointing me not to, to my own record, not to, okay, Phil Bischoff at age 19 or 20, you know, what have I done? Where am I going? How can I find the strength within me? He said, you know what? Just point to God's record of love. And when I do that, I feel all the peace in the world. And he told me, you know what? Don't rest in your identity as a college student or as a young adult or even as my son. Rest in your identity with the father that we have in common. The father that you have with David and Abraham and the father we all have in common, God the Father. Rest in that identity. Be sure about that. But you know what? You don't have to have a great earthly father to be a good father yourself. Abraham, his dad was a pagan, chased after idols, and did not follow, not lead his family well. He was not a good earthly father. And yet, God turned Abraham into the father of many nations. Let's look at the type of faith that Abraham had. Let's look at Hebrews 11.8. It says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. This was when Abraham was, was 75 years old and God told him to relocate. He said, all right, I don't really know exactly where I'm going, God, but you told me to go, and so I'm going to go. Abraham's faith wasn't just about, Dad, you know, I'll, I'll kind of trust in God. He went all in. He bet all the chips on God's promises. And let's continue. What does it say here? In verses 17, 18, 20 to 22. And what I want to do is I want to stop on verse 17. It says, he is our father, Abraham, in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. This is becoming one of my favorite Bible passages the more and more I read it. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were basically saying that you can count on God against all odds because you have a God who defies all odds. He gives life to dead things like Abraham's 99-year-old body, like Sarah's womb, like Jesus' body after it was in the grave three days. And he even gives life to your very own soul that was spiritually dead before you knew him. And it says that he calls things that are not as though they were he called Abraham, Abraham, father of many nations, when he didn't have a single child. He called things that were not as though they were because he knew that they would be. 
He calls you and me his sons and daughters, even though we're born into this world not knowing good and not knowing God. But he turns us into his adopted children through faith in Christ. And you see here that the type of faith that Abraham had. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. It says, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The phrase credited to him as righteousness means that he was declared right in God's sight. And look at the faith that he had. It says here that against all hope, he believed. Basically, Abraham took a risk on God's promises. And God delivered. When Abraham was 99 years old and when Sarah was 90, they gave birth to their first child, Isaac. And through Isaac, the nation of Israel, that promise of a great nation came true. The Jews were part of Abraham's family line. And Abraham's name still lives on today. And all people on earth are blessed through him because Jesus Christ came through his lineage, the savior of all mankind. That seemed like a promise to take a risk on that was pretty good odds. So really being a man who counts on God against all odds, what that really means is that means taking a risk on his promises. That means resting in his promises. And the promises he makes to you are the promises of forgiveness, the promise of heaven, and the promise that he's going to give you a new life here on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit, constantly changing you and making you more Christ-like. And the promise that He's going to make you into a real man. So that's our final point. Real men take a risk on God's promises against all odds. So to all those people who would say that being a Christian man is giving up on your adventure, giving up on daring, giving up on living a life that's on the edge, I would say that Christian men are risk takers taking risk on God's promises for us, just like Abraham did. Let's take a look at our next steps. It says here, remind yourself of your true identity as soon as you get up each morning this week. If you get up and you remind yourself, I'm God's son, I'm God's daughter, things just change your perspective. Try doing that this week. Take a risk on a promise from God this week. Get in your Bibles and see the promises he makes to you and take a risk on it. Take God at his word. Finally, meditate on and memorize Romans 4, 17 to 18. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for a day like today, Father's Day, where we can give thanks for the fathers you've given us. Men who have provided for us physically and spiritually. Men who have been our friends, who have been our mentors. And Lord, even if we didn't have or don't have a good earthly father, we celebrate today by celebrating you as our heavenly father. 
Someone who we know gave us an identity as your child. Someone who we know made us real men by letting us face the facts with you and, and admitting anything we need to, to you. And, and, and people who take risks in your promises. Give us all the wisdom and the strength and the courage to believe you at your word. And Lord, I do ask a special prayer for our fathers today that you give them an extra measure of your patience, of your wisdom, of your guidance, and of that risk-taking attitude to trust you against all odds and to bet on your name against any other name. We pray this in all things because of Jesus and what he won for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.